Hello, Stephen. Hello, Erica. We're back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's your birthday weekend. Yeah, we record on holidays, or we would try to record for holidays. And yeah, uh, in some places in the world, where you are, in fact, if you are listening right away, it might already be my birthday. If you're listening to this moment right now, which is impossible unless you're eavesdropping on this conversation. No, but by the time we get this posted... It will have been my birthday in Australia for a long time. It will have been my birthday in the UK for a while. It's already in the UK. It's our, Yeah, ev- that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Everywhere except the Midwest and um, West. Yep. So happy birthday to me. Happy birthday. <laughs> so uh, on your birthday, so the, the, the latest or the you were born June 13th. Is it okay to say the year? Yeah, 1977 at 5 p.m. 5 p.m., which would be 10 a.m. in the UK. Uh, April 2nd, I believe, was the, was the closest broadcast date, that Talents of Wang Chiang episode 6. But on your birthday, the actual day was the first day of location filming for the Sunmakers. Cool. Yeah. Sunmakers, you were born then. Uh, also, I looked it up. Uh, Led Zeppelin was in the middle of a legendary six or seven night run at Madison Square Garden. On June 13th, 1977. Wow. Yeah. I'm not surprised that you know that. I looked it up. I looked okay. both of these things up. <laughs> the, April 2nd was not. I remember that as, for some reason, I remember that as being the broadcast date of episode mm-hmm. six of Towns of Wang Chai. But I wanted to see which um, which story was being made. Gotcha. And it was the Sunmakers episode, like, the first day of filming. In... Un, in the underground, because apparently the uh, there was some fog or something outside, so they had to shoot in whatever, uh, I don't know if you remember the Sunmakers that much, uh-huh. in the elevator and stuff like that. So when we come to the Sunmakers, maybe we'll, maybe by the time we get to it, it'll be on your birthday again, again. <laughs> and then we can point it out. Neat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's not what we watched today. We did not watch the Sunmakers. We did not, but... We watched episode two of The Mutants. Yeah, I was trying to think, is there a connection? But there probably is a connection, but I can't mm-hmm. think of it. We've had enough weird connections for today. What's what are the what's <laughs> name the connections before we get on to this because it's very strange the bizarre connection that linked two movies that we watched today earlier for your birthday. Yeah, uh, I rarely choose what is on the television in terms of movies. We don't watch a lot of movies, and for my birthday weekend, I was like, I'm just going to watch some random movies that are some somewhat lighthearted and just to kill the time. And I first chose to watch Working Girl from, what year is that from? 1988. Uh, Oscar-nominated, Best Picture, Best Supporting Actress, Gordy Weaver, maybe even Melly Griffiths, too, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah um, and Harrison Ford is in it. Good old Harrison Ford. Yep. Top build Harrison Ford, because Harrison Ford is Harrison Ford, even though he's more of a supporting character as well, but, you oh, know. Yeah. Totally supporting character, yeah. but very... Uh, very Harrison Forty and very fun. It's great. Mm-hmm. Anyway, enjoyed the film. It was it was a delightful uh, bit of a throwback. It was literally in the throwback section of the oh. Disney Plus menu, uh, and it was fun. And at the end, we always watch the credits because those people worked hard to do stuff. And I always like watching the um, the thank yous, the thank you section to see like what companies and random people and things are mm. are thanked. And it was everything was like regular. Um, you know, they capitalized the first letter of the words and the rest of it was lowercase, except for one name, Pat Birch, 
all caps. And I was like, I don't know who or what that is, but whoever it is, they deserved all caps, apparently. And it just sort of stuck in my mind. Yep. Reminded me of The Prisoner. I don't know if you remember the tail end of The Prisoner where Alexis Canner, who played uh, the young rebel, uh, got like a square around his name in the credits because we have to single out Alexis Canner because he's great. That reminded me of Pat Birch's credit at the end. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It set it off. Uh, And the other just like random little thing in the movie that I noticed was that uh, at a a pivotal scene in a wedding reception, uh, Harrison Ford needed to uh, get this bridesmaid away from the big business tycoon. Um, So he asked for her name from somebody else. Anyway, her name was Elizabeth, but she goes by Bitsy, which I just thought was funny. So he goes and calls her Bitsy and, and then things progress. Anyway, right. cut to after that, I was like, you know what? I just want to watch another movie. I want to watch something that I haven't seen. I want to watch something that looks sort of lighthearted, maybe a little bit romantic, kind of funny. And uh, Amazon Prime had, what is it called? The Nanny Diaries? The Nanny Diaries. Which I'm not going to recommend anybody watch because it thought it was a lot cuter and uh, more clever than it was. Um, but, it it fit the bill for the day. It was entertaining enough. It's got, it's got Black Widow and Captain America in it. It does. It doesn't have nearly enough Captain America as far as I'm concerned. Wasn't Laura Linney in one of those uh, those Marvel movies too? I have no idea. Weren't Probably. They, weren't they all in it? I think every everybody was. The Marvel Universe is to uh, American actors of some renown as the Harry Potter Universe mm-hmm. is to the British actors of some renown. Everyone's in it at some point. Yep. Uh, Donna Murphy was in this movie and she was a highlight. And Alicia Keys, also very good. That's true. Donna Murphy from Star Trek Insurrection, I think you'll find. Donna Murphy from Center Stage, I think you'll find. A- anyway. She can be in two movies. Go on. Anyway, there, <laughs> in the midst of this movie, uh, there's a scene with a woman who comes in and her name is Bitsy. And Steve and I just looked at each other and we're like, how did we choose two completely random movies with characters like who are in it very briefly and have almost no lines, but that are named Bitsy. Separated by like almost 20 years. It's ridiculous. It's very strange. Uh, Very weird. Um, And then at the end, watching the credits, just going through, and all of a sudden I see choreographer Pat Birch. And I was like, Pat Birch, wasn't that the all caps name from the thank yous from the previous movie we just watched? So we went to the internet. Sure enough, Patricia Birch is a choreographer uh, who has done all kinds of things. Lots of things. Directed Grease 2. Mm-hmm. Maybe was handed Grease too, and then didn't direct much after that. So maybe she didn't enjoy directing or not. But a, a choreographer to the stars, yes. including Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club yes. band from 1978. Mm-hmm. So it which apparently w- were the were the t- you 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 are listening to the two fans of that movie. Well, I am not a fan, but I know it exists. We acknowledge its existence. That's pretty much what we do. Anyway, she was there, and so so she probably choreographed the wedding dance scenes in Working Girl, is what I'm guessing, because she wasn't credited anywhere else. And maybe Mike Nichols, the director, like couldn't get a credit because she wasn't officially working, maybe, and so therefore, an all caps special thank you was the best he could do. I don't know. I don't know. It's very very strange, but yeah, just totally random that there are the two movies that I happen to pick to watch. Yeah. Anyway, we should probably talk about Doctor Who because I feel like most people are like, why are they still talking about random movies from the 80s and 2000s? Well, I will say this. Uh, George Pravda is in this episode of Doctor Who. Uh, I just watched The Enemy of the World for Ready Free Scar research, and he was in that as well. Uh, George Pravda played a character in this episode called Jaeger. He is named after... Frederick Yeager, another actor who has been in Doctor Who three times in The Savages, 
uh, played Professor Marius in Invincible Enemy, and of course was in Planet of Evil as well. None of them directed by Christopher Berry. Maybe they were designed by Jeremy Bear. I don't know. Wow. Lots of connections. Tons of connections. Mm-hmm. For yeah. arbitrary connections mm-hmm. today on your birthday weekend. Yeah. Speaking of George Pravda, I was delighted to see him because I just like him very much. Oh, do you really? How come? He's also, uh, what's it must? Is it Spandrel in The Daily Assassin, too? Is he Spandrel? Yes. Is that his? Yeah. Engen, Engen is the, okay. the dotty old one, and Spandrel is the. Uh, is the the police cop who is, uh, um, yeah, Spandrel. It's Spandrel, isn't it? I don't think so. It's Spandrel. I think you have it backwards. No, no. Engen. Mm-hmm. Oh, goodbye, Engen. Oh. Goodbye. That's Eric okay. Chitty You're playing right. Engen, and then George Pravda played Spandrel. It sounds like a silly name. It does. Spandrel. I, I just I'm remembering him as having a. Does, does he have a title? And maybe I'm remembering him by his title. Uh, oh, what is his title? He's like a. Is it Chancellor? No. No. Yeah, see, this is, I was trying to think of it through this entire episode. See. Yeah, um, this is driving me, driving me blockers, which is why I couldn't remember, like, why Spandrel didn't sound familiar, because I was, think I was th- thinking of his title. Anyway, I love him in The Desi Assassin. Do, do not tweet at us. Nope. Before I even edit, so such as we edit the show, mm-hmm. before we even post this episode, I will have looked this up. Yep. So do not tweet at us. Mm-hmm. We will know. We will know by then. But anyway, so I do, I love him so much from The Deadly Assassin. Wow. So that's what I know him from. But every time I see him, I just, it pleases me because I like him so much in The Deadly Assassin. Which is one of your favorite stories. It is. It is. Yeah. I love it very much. So it was it was nice to see him. However, it was interesting to me because he pops up mm-hmm. and he has a very pronounced accent. <laughs> that's his natural Czech accent, which he never lost. Right. Exactly. And so I'm watching him in, in these scenes with Rick James and I'm yeah. like, these are two people who are acting. And they both have accents. Uh, yeah. And George Pravda is a bit more naturalistic in his yeah. acting style, but not like that much more. So I feel like I'm like, hmm, what could possibly be the difference between the accent that Rick James has and the accent that George Pravda has? What what could be the difference between them that people complain about one and not the other? Hmm, I can't put my finger on it. It's tough, isn't it? It's very <laughs> difficult to think. Um, yeah, don't yep. know. Yeah. So like I was watching and I was watching the Rick James performance very closely and like there were a few lines that were delivered a little bit like I would have put um, the emphasis on different syllables and Mm -hmm. different words and stuff. But I feel like that was more of an an accent thing, Um, whereas his facial expressions and, you know, like the nods that he gives to the doctor behind behind. I I liked his uh, scene when he sort of comes to him. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yep. So it's, uh, you know, it's a little bit stiff performance wise but as i've said stiff performances in doctor who not a new thing no. uh and i just i find him charming me too endearing uh, as the yes. word i used last week mm-hmm. yeah. yep i really like it and uh and you know the fact that that both Stubbs and cotton are willing to see the truth mm. without you know they're not company men in the way that like they're not going to just stand by the the boss just because he says so like they they want to do the right thing they are i don't know they care about the 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 cause of keeping humanity safe more than you know taking over i guess yeah it's a it's a good subtle sign of an empire on decline as the earth empire is because everyone's sort of like you know looking for the first the nearest opportunity to jump off basically oh we should just go back home we should just like there as the story starts they're already feeling that way it doesn't take the doctor uh, much yeah. to convince them it's like you know we're already on board with you which i like 
Yep. Yeah. Yep. I also really like Garrick Hagen in this story. He's just so good. Isn't he? Why do you like about Garrick Hagen out of curiosity? Just he, I just, I feel like he's giving the best performance of anybody. He, it, like, I'm just completely convinced that he is this character. He is, he's passionate and he mm-hmm. is smart. He is clever. Uh, and it turns out he actually has a conscience and is caring enough. To, like he, it would be definitely wiser for him to just leave Joe behind to die. He mm-hmm. doesn't know her from anybody. He's j- literally just met her and took her hostage to get off the station. Knows nothing about her. She could be completely lying to him about everything. And yet he goes back for her. I know. I think it's yes. not only goes back for her, uh-huh. goes back for her, pulls her into a place that's moderately more safe, circles back, takes out a guard so yeah. that he can steal the mask so that he can then come back and really actually save Joe's life and then drags her to safety. Like he's putting himself in harm's way mm-hmm. twice, like multiple times in order to in order to save this person that he's never met before. So he's he's very clearly cemented as one of the good guys here right away in episode two. He is. He's, a, he's very much a heroic performance. Um, and also like it's rare to hear a an actor with a Canadian accent put on a British accent, but it's very much a stage British accent. You know what I mean? Like it's very theater. Uh-huh. I don't know what I mean. I mean, I'm not saying that it sounds fake or anything, but it reminds me of like, you know, Christopher Plummer doing Shakespeare or mm-hmm. something. Like he just has that sort of Britishness, but not like mm-hmm. from any specific place. If you want to hear his actual voice, he is the doing the voice of the Sky Base One. Sky oh. Base One. That's Garrett Kagan, ah. more or less in his natural Canadian accent. So, Oh, fun. I'll, I should have listened closer. It's a Canadian accent in Doctor Who. You never hear this. Yep. Because even when there are Canadians like Shane Rimmer in the Gunfighters or Robert <laughs> Beatty in uh, the Tenth Planet, they're doing more of a gruff kind of American accent there anyway. So that Sky Base One, that's a Canadian actor doing a Canadian accent in Doctor Who. And by God, <laughs> it takes until the year 2020 mm-hmm. for an even an image of Canada being in Doctor Who because it's Niagara Falls where Nikola Tesla is doing his opening little press conference there. Only by default, Canada has to be in there somewhere. We we Canadians take these grains of salt that we are yep. given and grasp them. Yes, the teeniest little morsels yes. we will we will grab. Considering the fact that it was a Canadian who you know really was the the punch behind getting the show you know over the hump and started exactly i feel like it's this isn't enough folks we've given you know we'll say okay we'll tell you what we'll shoot the the movie that's going to bring back (laughs) doctor who for you but we're not going to mention canada once it's going to be set there and then we're going to cancel it but you get that that's what we got yeah i guess we did get that it is true yeah Mm -hmm. so that bugs me anyway I, I think I derailed you with your Garrick Hagen talk. But, there are uh, probably plenty of Canadian actors in there using their Canadian voices in the TV movies. So it's maybe not, it's not like they're putting on American accents. No, that's true. I wonder, mm-hmm. but they don't sound Canadian. Not like Garrick Hagen no. on the sky-based Tannoy. I mean, it's Canadian. The the sort of Vancouver Americanized accent. Yeah, I think people in Vancouver were probably pretty. Even then, were pretty used to like sounding American, quote unquote, mm-hmm. for like X Files and probably other yep. TV shows that are being made there at the same time. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's true. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yes, yay, Garrick Hagen. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, yep, he's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else about this? Um, 
uh, Varen um, and hiding out and stuff. Do you think anything about that? Or uh... Uh, I, I mean, I just I like the the Stubbs bit that he was willing to see reason and mm-hmm. just not kill him right away. It's it's interesting too because the scene starts off being like, let's just make this quick, and the doctor's like, make it quick. Yeah, and he's just get this over with or something. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, he's very businesslike about it like that's what you have to do with these mutts mm-hmm. um and it's only after he recognizes that varen's not a mutt that he's yeah. he's like oh okay well then sure mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm fine and he listens to the whole story and is is then you know kind of on board which that's great uh, uh, until the end though which he clearly still doesn't trust the doctor because he's sort of die overlord and the yeah. credits roll and stuff oh, yeah. so varen varen doesn't trust him no. but Stubbs does ah yes yes sorry yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um I did have one little thing, like the particle reversal, mm-hmm. that you know you can turn the box inside out, and what's outside or inside becomes outside, and the outside becomes inside. And I'm like, how does it not turn inside out? Whatever's inside the box, because I was saying to Stephen, I was like, what if it's like a hamster or a gerbil or something yeah. in there, and it turns inside out, and it's inside out outside? Like that would be disgusting. So uh, it's just it seems like the I know science and Doctor Who is always very um, fuzzy, right? But this just seems. It, it, laughably fuzzy so it just made me laugh like you're going to reverse all of the particles and yet some of them are going to know enough to not be reversed and some of them are going to be reversed and like that's that's really high technology it is mm-hmm. i mean it is like the 29th century so who knows what kind of science would have been you know discovered by then well they didn't have this technology anyway it's the doctor so doctor who lords. did magic time lord technology yeah. mm-hmm. and he did it, does it like relatively quickly let's just flip some switches plug three different things in yeah, there yes. and there we go that was quite the like you know push in on the uh on the plugs i was like <laughs> wow that's they're really excited about this machine with these plugs good good job set folks jeremy bear yeah you you remarked about how that control room set was quite impressive oh, yeah i do really like the larger sets like that i was like that's that is a nice looking set with lots of you know colored decorations on the walls and mm-hmm. you've got you know it's sort of three-dimensional you can walk around the uh the side and, and the top and there's like a railing up there and yeah. stuff mm-hmm. and a big thing in the middle where the doctor notices the circuit's about to overheat yep. and like, all that kind of stuff is good yeah, I like a good uh, big space station set like that. Stairs and stuff. Yes, yes. I love stairs. When I was a kid, I used to build like space cruisers that more, mostly looked like Lego castles in space because I only had Lego castle pieces. <laughs> but I would have like uh, multi-layered bridges and they would have like walkways around the, the side and stuff. And then with the sort of the command stuff in, down in the middle. And that reminded me of my Lego spaceship <laughs> ship sets from the when I was a kid. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Was that inspired? Were they inspired by uh, Doctor Who, or had you not seen these types of episodes at that point? I had not seen the mutants by that point. I saw. Was I want to say like 1990 is when I saw Pertwee. So Pertwee is like sort of towards the end of right. my discovery of Doctor Who, kind of like it is yes. for you in many ways, really. Very much. Yeah. So, but I am I'm really enjoying the story. I think this is a, a story that I've sort of gone of like. Uh, I remember actually later on. Uh, in this story, no spoilers. No spoilers, but I just remember at the time, like it was one, of, <laughs> it was one of the only times. I think I've mellowed on it since, but it was one of the only times when I was watching Doctor Who originally for the first time that I sort of go, huh, this isn't one of the best ones, is it? And oh, that wow. rarely happened. And I think I've come around on this one. Other ones were um, another one which I won't mention because we haven't seen it yet. Okay. Um, the Chase, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a bit of dumb business and ghost light, which made me think that. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and then there's some a couple new Who episodes, which I won't choose mm-hmm. to mention here. But uh, yeah, it's been very rare in my 35, 40 years of watching Doctor Who mm-hmm. that I've actually felt, oh, <laughs> so... I'll be interested to get to whatever episode or whatever part that is, if yeah. you remember it, and see if you still sort of feel that way, or if I have that reaction. Yeah, I wonder. It's, it was a very small moment. And one of them, I will say, is also a Christopher Berry thing, but it's not his fault at all. Because The Brain of Morbius, which is also directed by Christopher Berry, when it aired for the first time that I saw it on my PBS station here in like the mid to late 80s, uh, the first episode of the omnibus version contained no sound effects or incidental music. And I thought, why are they doing this? This sounds dumb. They should have put music and sound effects. I didn't know this whole story behind it. And so my impression of that story took a long time to recover because of that. Mm-hmm. That Well, I mean, that would do it. But First yeah. impressions, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not Christopher Berry's fault, though. No. Mm-hmm. So, But we'll get to it. We'll get to that one little bit of scene, and I'll, I will tell you when, when it happens. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Anything else about the Mutants Episode 2? I'm just I I I feel like the first episode did a like I said such a great job of doling out information to sort of put you into the the scene in the, to understand what's going on right. and so you know we really had our foundation but there's still bits and pieces of information that are being imparted throughout episode 2 it's not as thick on the ground because it doesn't need to be um unlike the mist that's oh, you just you just mimic Tristram Carey's music score there <laughs> I think I did <laughs> Uh, but no, I just, I like that, you know, we're finding out a little bit more like, oh, okay. So that's what, like, we knew there was some atmospheric stuff going on. Now we're getting more specifics that they are trying to make it so that it's habitable for humans, which of course, probably not so great for the Solonians. Solonians, but it's a Solonians planet. Was the Solonians planet, says Jaeger. Yeah, he's, uh, oh, scientists. (laughs) And colonial, colonialists, yeah. Colonists, yep. Yeah, so that was interesting. Um, we already knew that the marshal was behind the assassination, but just like mm. watching him take down <laughs> more and more of like his his co conspirators, not surprising, <laughs> but like wow, he's just totally cold blooded about yeah, it. Yeah, the assassin comes in, Varen's son, and sort of goes, "Sure, I'll meet you at a closed door meeting with just mm. you and me." Yes, that's the very weapon that I used. Mm. What? And he's dead. Yep. Well, I mean. He thought they were on the same side and they were working together mm-hmm. for the good of uh, his clan. And that was clearly not the case. No, wasn't at all. Mm-hmm. Yep. No. And then also, I really enjoyed the little tidbits uh, that we learned um, from Kai in the cave about how nobody on Earth lives on the surface. Mm. And, you know, Joe's adorable little comment. Well, it's been some time yeah. since I left Earth. <laughs> it's just like, oh, so cute. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you're enjoying this story. Yeah, I really, I really am. Like this is this is great stuff. So I'm, it it could fall apart any episode, but so far I'm I'm completely on board. And we're watching it the way the Time Lords uh, intended us, one episode mm-hmm. at a time, mm-hmm. and then talking about it, and then moving on to the next one. And you know, maybe next time we'll watch a couple of episodes, but maybe we won't because I find that I'm just enjoying this so much that I want I want to spread it out. Yeah, I don't want to watch a bunch of episodes together. I mean, I'm I'm very conscious of the dwindling number of Doctor Who episodes that will feel new to me. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sort of like, this is my midlife crisis, my late life crisis in terms of Doctor Who. Oh, jeez. What? No. Oh, in terms of Doctor Who and yes. that you are close to the end of watching yes. new Doctor I thought, mm-hmm. don't, 
<laughs> You're only 44. It's plenty of years left in you. Well, I hope. I don't yeah. know. But I do. But I'm also hitting that midlife crisis point in terms of just like consuming all media and stuff and, and sort of I'm not doing quite as much rewatching. I'm not doing quite as much rereading. <laughs> I'm ramping it up. Yeah, because it's like, oh. I don't have I don't have as much time left in front of me right. as I you know as I used to, and so I need to be more picky and choosy about mm-hmm. the media that I consume. Like that's I'm not going out and buying a red Corvette. I am only you know watching things once or twice instead of a bunch a bunch a bunch of times over and over again. Like this is this is my midlife crisis. I have I I'm more aware of my mortality than I was before, right. and uh, and I'm likewise more aware of how few Doctor Who episodes I have in front of me that I haven't seen before multiple times. So what happens when you turn 44, kids? This is what it happens when you hit your 44th or 46th birthday. It's like, oh, let's celebrate. You're just saying, hmm, no. I mean, technically I did rewatch a movie because I watched Working Girl today, which I have seen a few times, but long enough ago that I didn't actually remember it. I had totally forgotten the whole like Harrison Ford, Sigourney Weaver wrinkle in the plot. So so it felt new. Me too. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I uh, I intend on watching Doctor Who episodes a lot. Mm-hmm. Hope it's all right because I know I won't be disappointed. That, that's true. Even even by like parts of Ghost Light or that one scene, perhaps in the Mutants when it comes up, or other aspects of Doctor mm-hmm. Who, I know I can let that wash over, and I can still just mm-hmm. know that I'll be happy. Well, good. Yeah. I'm, I'm. I'm. You continue to watch as much Doctor Who as you want. We have two TVs and a giant computer monitor in our living room That's so true. we can we can go our own ways and they and they just keep putting them out on different formats and i will happily buy them mm-hmm. on, on blu-ray and stuff mm-hmm. the season nine box that comes out yep. i'm watching it all again in 20 years it's going to come out on some sort of disc that you put in your head and you watch it inside your mind and you're going to be all over that too here's the thing mm-hmm. i already watch it inside <laughs> my mind fair enough good point excellent point Happy birthday, Erica. Oh, thank you very much. Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye.